Hey, we're uh, continuing our series through Ephesians chapter 6. This is a series that we call Stand Strong, where we're looking at uh, chapter 6 where Paul talks about uh, and tells the church in Ephesus that we're in a spiritual battle, that we're not in a battle against flesh and blood or against one another, but we're in this other battle and that we have to put on our like spiritual armor. And so we've been going through the various components that Paul talks about, about the spiritual armor that we are to put on, and that we've got to stand strong in the midst of that, and that there is an enemy out there who is the devil, and uh, when we put this on, we can stand against it, and we can fight uh, our spiritual battle that we are in. And we are uh, multiple weeks into this, and today we're going to continue on, and I realized my wife was telling me the other day, like, how many more pieces of armor are there that we're going to go through? I'm like, well, babe, we, we got a few still, you know? But uh, how important this is, you know, that we keep track, and it can feel intense, you know, that it's kind of has a little more uh, intense vibe as a series, but how good it is to know that God loves us, that he's given us tools that we can equip ourselves in the world that we are in when we face hard times and struggle. So uh, let me encourage you to stick with it. We got a few pieces of armor left, and today We're going to continue on. But let's read this chapter that Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verses 10 uh, through 16. And we're going to stop at where we're taking up today. So this is what Paul writes. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that it's not against one another, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to uh, stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted in the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. peace. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning on the shield of faith. Now, Paul, he's illustrating that uh, a few things here. One is that it's not the battle we're in, again, is not against one another. Sometimes we can feel like my battle is against you know, the, the co-worker that I don't like at work, and that's really my battle, or this person over here, Paul's saying, no, our battle's not against one another, it's against the, the evil in this world, and that we're to put on the spiritual armor in order to combat that. And so he talks about each one of these different pieces, and they all have their uh, specific component. And maybe if you missed one of these pieces of armor, you're like, oh, what does the breastplate of righteousness mean or the belt of truth? Go back and watch the, uh, some of the sermons so you can get caught up and see what those mean. And today we're looking at the shield of faith. Now, Paul's referring to all this armor in light of the Roman soldier, that uh, he's looking at the Roman soldier and saying, look at the armor that he wears, and then relating it to spiritual uh, uh, ideas in our life. So the Roman soldier's shield was this four-foot by two-foot shield, uh, very big, very heavy. It was made of like dense wood with a bunch of leather layers on the outside with a, uh, a metal ring around it. And... Uh, what they were able to do, it had some like hooks on the side, 
And they could uh, hook it together. So if you remember Olivia's sermon back when we started this series off where she talked about that famous battle where you had the Greeks against the Persians and they had their new formation that they were able to link all their shields together. And then when the Persians came, they were able to like stab through the shields. This was that Ro- part of that Roman shield where it got developed is it could link with one another. And so one thing Paul's referring to here maybe is around Well, if we can link our shields of faith together, we can have like a community of faith. And that's part of the reason why we're here this morning or why maybe you go to a life group or a small group that there's an extra faith or power when you can link it with one another. But I believe what Paul's really trying to show us through this is that, yes, the community faith is really good and it's, it's uh, positive to be in those environments, but we have to have our individual faith as well. Each Roman soldier had to have his own shield. And so we are to have our own individual shield or shield of faith as well. With that, you can distinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Now, in this time, the Romans, they used multiple different types of arrows. Um, one of them was it had an iron tip on it, and they would uh, sometimes they would dip it like in a tar and light it on fire and shoot it. The other type of arrow that they used was like a hollow reed that they uh, had in their area. And in that hollow reed, they'd still put the, an iron tip on it, but then they'd be able to fill that hollow reed with flammable material. And then when they shot it and it hit whatever it hit, it would kind of like blow up and fire would go everywhere, and it, it was pretty intense. But what the Romans would do is they'd soak their shields in water uh, the night before battle. So then when they showed up to battle, they'd have this like soaking wet shield that when those arrows hit it, it would extinguish these flaming arrows. And so what Paul writes here is he says, well, you know, in addition to all this, take up your shield. Or other uh, translations of the Bible say, above all else, take up your shield. One way to think about this is, out in front of everything, have your shield. That your shield is important because out in front of all the other pieces of the armor, you need to have your shield. That if without your shield, you're exposed to the attacks of the enemy. So out in front of everything, that we must take up our shield in order to guard ourselves against the attacks of the enemy that he will throw at us. And Paul uses this specific word shield in Ephesians 6 that's only found a few other places in the Bible, this Greek word called thurios for meaning of the word shield. And what it actually means in Greek is door or gate. What Paul's referring to here is that our shield of faith is kind of like a door. It's a door to our life or our heart and mind. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to attack us and with his arrows, so to say, that we'll get to in a second, And that without our shield or our door to our heart, we are susceptible to those attacks. The shield is the door to our life. And doors are important, aren't they? As I was thinking about this, I was thinking more and more like doors are really important. I don't know about you, but I feel like doors are important because I don't know if your parents ever took your door away when you were growing up. That was like the worst punishment has anyone had their door taken away before growing up as a kid? I, yeah, I see you. Anyone, any parent ever taken their door away of their child? Yeah, there you go. You're just like, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the worst punishments, isn't it? Like you can ground me, put me in my room, you know, take my cell phone away. 
but you take my door away, like this is another level of punishment that I'm like exposed to my family. Like, come on, like put my door back on. Or think of if you were to go to a hotel and you forgot to book your room in advance, you're tired, it's late, you show up and, and you ask the concierge for a room and they say something to the effect of, yeah, you know, everything's booked. But you know what? We do have one room available, but the caveat is, is it doesn't have a door. Would you stay in that room? That'd be weird and awkward, I feel like. Or uh, is there any other like public, public restroom haters like me? I'm just a public restroom hater, personally. I, I just don't like using public restrooms. And would you ever use a restroom that didn't have a stall door to it? It's just weird. Like, it's just a full no-go for me. Like, it's just not going to happen. And then when you see the, 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 the no-stall guy that, that goes in and does that, you're like, why? It's, it's weird. And I remember in fifth grade, my, my parents sent me to uh, Bible camp in fifth grade. And I show up, I'm excited to learn about, you know, Jesus and all the things that the Bible has to offer. And I go into the restroom and I figure out that whatever reason, there's no stall doors. And I'm like, who does this? So for four days, it didn't happen. I'm like, I'm staying away. There was a lot of pain and turmoil that went into my life for those four days. I don't think Jesus showed up much. I was angry. It was weird. I came home, and I was in a, an immense amount of pain. Doors are important, right? They really are. And the door to our heart is important as well. That what Paul writes is that shield is like the door to your heart, or it's like the door to your mind. And the Bible tells us that the enemy is like a prowling lion looking for people to devour. And so if we have our door wide open, think without that shield of faith, think of like the enemy driving up and down neighborhoods looking for who doesn't have their front door on their home. And without that, you have easy access. I can get in and torment and, and cause chaos in your life. And that's what he does. He looks and he searches for who doesn't have the door, protecting and guarding their heart and guarding their mind. And what the enemy will do is will take these arrows and he'll shoot them and they'll, without the shield of faith, they'll just penetrate with nothing else needed. And here's what the enemy wants to do. We learned uh, back when I gave the sermon on the reliability of the Bible and the truth found in the gospel, the one thing the enemy wants to do is he wants to plant a seed in our minds, right? A lie uh, against the truth of the Bible. And what that does is that seed develops a thought, which in the thought develops a belief, and then the belief develops behavior, that our behaviors are born out of our beliefs. And so this is what the enemy wants to do. But what the enemy uh, also wants to do is he looks for who doesn't have the shield up the door to their heart. And what he'll try and do is he wants to shoot those arrows. Remember the arrows that they got the hollow reed and they'll come in and they'll kind of blow up? What the enemy wants to do is he wants to see who doesn't have the shield, the door up, and they'll shoot the arrow in and they'll kind of blow up. So what he likes to do is he likes to inflame our emotions or engulf us in our passions. 
So he searches and he looks for it. Who doesn't have the door, the shield up, and he'll shoot that arrow in, that lie, whatever it may be, just to get you stinking angry or just to engulf you in your passions and temptations that just consume your thoughts and your life and your behavior where something that usually would be minor just blows up on this large magnitude scale. And he wants to inflame your emotions, engulf you in your passions when you don't have your door right there. I, I uh, remember multiple times, I worked in a restaurant. And man, restaurant works hard. You know, I worked at Applebee's. There was some inflamed emotions, all right? You go back into the kitchen and you and the cooks, like you don't like each other and you're yelling at each other and it can be so easy. And maybe you've experienced this like at the workplace where something that seems small, maybe you heard someone that did something or whatnot, but then over time as you stew on it, you just feel like the entire workplace is out to get you. Like everyone hates you now. Everyone's been talking about you. Everyone thinks all this stuff. When the enemy wants to inflame our emotions or engulf us in passions and temptations. And we need our shield out in front of everything in order to stop and withstand that assault. That, hey, this house is closed, right? The door is shut and you cannot get in here. Now, many of you, I'm sure, are thinking, you know, hey, this sounds great. I love it. Uh, I want the door. I like the door in the stall, in my hotel room, in my house. And yeah, I want the door in my heart too, okay? Key, I'll lock it away. It's good. So give me like the three-step pastoral process. You know, I know pastors like to preach in three-step points. Give me the one, two, three, how I can hold my shield of faith up, the arrows hit it, and we're all good. We can get out of here and get the burgers on the grill, right? <laughs> A lot of us, that's what we think. But bear with me here. I'm sure that if many of us were honest, myself including, many of us honestly have very different views or doubts about faith in and of itself. Well, what is faith? Many of us have maybe been uh, uh, brought up in whole different perspectives of faith. And then if some of us were honest, what we'd really say is, well, faith requires something out of me that I don't know if I can fully buy into. I like the idea that, you know, I get some good self-help stuff so, you know, I don't get assaulted or whatnot. But many of us probably at the same time feel like, I don't know if I fully buy into faith. And maybe if you're honest like me, and I've thought this personally myself many times, is that really what Christianity is and what it requires is it requires mind-numbing and experience-denying faith. And if you're honest, maybe you've thought that before or you think that now. Or maybe you're a person that uh, doesn't come from a, a, a religious upbringing whatsoever, and you just think faith is, you know, complete garbage. But if we were honest, many of us probably feel that in some way, that really Christianity requires some type of, like, mind-numbing. I just have to block out all the reason or anything, actual reality, my perception of reality. You know, I have to kind of block that out and kind of stick my head in the sand in order to believe these things and have to deny my experience on earth with other people and my relationships and how things interact. I kind of have to deny my experience and numb my mind to reality in order to really buy in to faith. And I believe that 
you know, many people sometimes grow up in environments where maybe a pastor complicates it, or they grow up in a different, a different way where it, it, you create these experiences in our life where faith becomes uh, something that it's not. And so what I want to present to you this morning, I believe that we have full assurance in Jesus. And what I want to ask you is to open yourself up to potentially looking at what faith really is and living by faith and having that shield of faith. So I'm not going to give you the three-point sermon this morning. Hopefully that's okay. But let me start with this. Let me start with what faith is not, okay? Faith is not a formula. Faith is not if you do step one, two, and three, well, then God will do something. And as long as you do this and then you do that and you do it in the right way, well, then God's going to act and do something. And faith is not a force or a power. Faith is not something that you can like tap into some like force where maybe if you and some friends, you pray loud enough with like a big enough fervor that somehow you can take your spirit lasso and lasso like around God's neck and kind of manipulate him to do something that he might not have done if you didn't pray a certain way or you didn't live a certain way. That's just called magic or paganism. That faith is not a force, it's not a power, and it's not a formula that if you dial the right things, well, then maybe something's going to happen that wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have done that. So let me try and give you a simple explanation of faith. And actually, let it not be me, but let it be the scripture itself. Uh, The author of Hebrews Um, Hebrews is essentially a book written to the Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, which in the time was a very odd thing. It was really cool that there was a group of Jews who believed this. And so the author of Hebrews, he wrote this book to them. It's really just like a long sermon is what it kind of is. And it got canonized in the Bible. And it's really awesome. And the writer of Hebrews, his intent uh, with this few specific chapters. We're only going to read a piece of it, but his intent is to make faith clear, it's to make faith simple, and it's really to make faith central in our walk with the Lord. This is what he says in Hebrews 11.1. He says, now faith, so here's what faith is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. He puts another word in there. He puts in hope, doesn't he? Faith and hope. And that's kind of like, well, what's the difference between faith and hope? Here's what hope is. Hope is is wanting something to happen, but with no guarantee. It's kind of like a a hope so, that you you don't know what's going to happen with no guarantee. Faith is when the hope so moves to a be so. So hope would be like, I hope one day I'll get a job. Or I hope one day I'll get a raise. Or I hope one day I'll get married. Or I hope one day maybe I can just go on a date. And when it moves from hope so to be so, that's what faith is. And so faith is this, is that if you might go through life going, I hope I'll get a raise one day. Anyone ever, anyone think that? Yeah, like I hope so too, right? I hope I'll get a raise one day. And you might go home and and, and tell your roommate or your, your spouse, like, I really hope I get a raise. And then one day, your boss calls you into the office and goes, hey, I bet you've been hoping for a raise, and that's going to happen. I'm going to give you that raise. Then you go home that same day, and what do you tell your roommate or your spouse or whatnot? I'm getting a raise, right? That's where the hope so moved to a be so, that because of your boss's words saying, I'm going to give you a raise, now you have faith 
And confidence in that hope so will be a be so. That's what faith is. It's, it's living in a way in which someone promises you something and you have faith that it's going to be a be so and not just a hope so. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is faith is confidence in that hope so and assurance about what we do not see. My boss says I'm getting a raise. Now I have faith it's going to happen. My two kids, they have a lot of faith in me. And you dads in the room, you probably know this as well. You, I'm sure you have similar experiences as me, that I'll tell my kids that you know, I'll, I'll never hurt them and I'll always protect them and all these various things, and they believe me, right? They'll jump out of a tree because they think I'm gonna catch them and they're never gonna get hurt. Or you know, I can tell my son Grant, like, your daddy is the strongest man in the world. And he just, that goes from a hope so to a be so really quick. Like, he'll go to school and be like, guess what? My daddy is the strongest man in the world. And the other kids will be like, no way. My daddy said the same thing. <laughs> There's a lot of faith. It's not just I hope my dad is. It is my dad said so, so I have faith that he is. He could pick a car up. He could this. He could that. There's a lot of faith. Faith is confidence that God is and will do what he promised. That's what faith is. Faith is confidence that God is and will do what he promised. But it can be hard to have faith in the world that we live in. We live in a world that no one keeps their promises, right? It doesn't really happen that much. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of astronomy. I took an astronomy course about a year ago, and I loved it. I was fascinated with all the aspects of astronomy. When I grew up, I don't know about when you grew up, but Pluto was a planet when I grew up, right? And in 2006, they decided it's not a planet. It's a dwarf planet, right? And then kids from 2006 up till January 2018, they learned Pluto is not a major planet anymore. It's not in the major planet solar system. And then in, on, I think it was January 28th, 2018, just a few months ago, they go, actually, it still is a planet. And now it's back to being a planet. Isn't that crazy that, you know, you can learn something, you can grow up, and then it is, and then it's not. What is Pluto, you know? Like, is it a planet? Or is it, can we just decide if it's a planet or not? Or probably many of you grew up and you learned uh, the steady state theory of the universe. Anyone ever remember learning this? First service, I didn't have one hand. Yeah, no one pays attention and no one cares, right? If there's science teachers in the room, you're just as mad as I am because no one listens to you. But here's the thing. The steady state theory of the universe was essentially this, is that matter has always existed. And that's what we thought for a long time and we taught it and, and uh, we learn about it now. But then it, wasn't, it was right around 1925, 30, right in there, where Edwin Hubble, he started to like ponder and wonder, like, I don't know if I buy into all of this stuff. So he got his telescope, you know, and what he figured out was actually all the planets, they're moving away from each other in, in a rapid speed. And that if you're able to reduce that back down, it actually all comes from a single point, which is called the singularity. And so he got, you know, uh, other scientists involved. And then we started down this path of going, well, maybe that's not true. And so then what happened, and this just blows my mind, is we learned about the cosmic microwave background radiation. Anyone else know that one? 
oh, this is like the best part, okay? You have to go take astronomy. This is really good stuff. Essentially, what they were able, scientists were able to do with this cosmic microwave background radiation theory is be able to figure out through math and temperature and various things that the universe had an origin, that the universe had an origin, and so which developed into the Big Bang Theory, which is it's just mind-blowing how what, what we're able to do. For years, we didn't know this, but now we do, and people were taught certain things all through life, and then it's like, oh, there's a Big Bang, and the Big Bang is essentially this in Nate's brain. I'm not an astronomist at all, and don't, you know, don't take my word, for example, but essentially the Big Bang is at one point in time, there was nothing, and then at another point in time, there was a rush of matter and light. And just out of nothing came a rush of matter and light. Just super cool. And I go, yeah, that kind of lines up with how I think too and maybe how God spoke it into existence or whatnot. But you can go through life and you can feel like, you know, our world just doesn't keep its promises sometimes. And maybe this is far more personal to you than just a science experiment or what Edwin Hubble did with his telescope. But maybe it was something around the effect of, well, maybe you're... Your dad or your friend or your mom, they didn't keep their promise to you. And you're able to grow up in an environment where you know, dad said he was going to be at that, that game and he wasn't there. Or this person did this or that person promised this or until death do us part this. And what we figure out is our world doesn't revolve around people keeping their word or promises. But what I want to invite you to embrace this morning is that we have faith in God for who God is and what God will do because God has kept his promises. Because of that, we can have full assurance of what we hope for is a, a, a full faith because of Jesus. So here's what Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we, will not, we do not see. And then in verse 2, he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. What he's saying here is then he goes on this long list of all the heroes of the Old Testament. And he says, by faith, Moses lived and did this. And by faith, Jonah did this. And by faith, Abraham this. And by faith, by faith, all these great people did these amazing things by faith because God had kept their promise to them. Now, I can't read you all the, the, the various people, but this is an amazing piece of scripture. So if you have your Bible or your phone, open it up. Hebrews 11, you can tune me out and read that. That's fine. You know, God speaks in a variety of ways. And if this is kind of getting boring or not striking the chord with you, read that and God will speak to you through that. It's a rich chapter in the Bible. Um, and if not now, please go home and read Hebrews chapter 11. It is just amazing. It's really, really good. By faith, God kept his promises to this person and to that person. And we don't just have faith because God is or the Bible says so, but we have evidence for that. And we see the various people, and one of them is Abraham. How many of you in here knows who Abraham is or has heard the name before Abraham? Yeah, Probably 100% of us. There might be one or two, but most likely all of us know or have heard the name Abraham. Let me just show you one promise that God gave to Abraham. It comes out of our previous series that we were in called Bless, uh, talking about how we can bless our community. That This uh, uh, promise to Abraham in Genesis is really critical. We can see how God has kept 
his promises. It comes out of Genesis 12, 2 and verse 3. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Now, did Abraham become a nation? It's not a trick question. Yes, right? We, we can go there. We can see that. We can, we can learn about the, the movement of the, the, the exodus and all the people. Abraham became a nation. God kept that promise. And I feel like if your name becomes a nation and you become a nation, you're feeling kind of blessed, right? That you're blessed. Who else has a person become a nation? If you can find them, uh, I want to know about them. I looked and couldn't see anyone else. Now, I think God fulfilled that promise. Second is he says, I will make your name great. I just asked you, who in here knows Abraham? Almost all of you raised your hand. That God fulfilled that promise. Here's a lowly guy in the desert in the Middle East 4,000 years ago that God promises and speaks to this man, Abraham. And 4,000 years later, we all know his name. That's remarkable. Just remarkable. I'll make your name great, and you, and you will be a blessing, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And Christians hold to this fact that all over the world, here's God's global promise to the world, that everyone will be blessed by you, and we all celebrate this as Christ, Christians every time Christmas or Easter rolls around about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Christians hold to and feel blessed by the fact that through Jesus, we can enter into relationship with God forever, that all nations have been blessed by him. That God has kept his promise to Abraham and to the many other people you'll read in Hebrews 11. And then it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen that all these guys, all these were still living by faith when they died. This is just awesome because all these people who were living by faith, they were looking forward to the promise of God that one day maybe we'll see. And then the writer of Hebrews ends it and says that they all died and never got to see the promise fulfilled. And they all lived and died living by faith. But here we are today on the other side of the window that we can look back and see the work, the life of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, and his resurrection, and the love and the grace that he offers to you and me that we can enter into, that we can have full assurance that these guys lived and died by faith, never seeing the promise fulfilled. But here we are today, that we can see God work and has worked through Jesus. And that we are to live by faith too, that all these heroes of the faith live by faith, we are to do the same. And really what that is, is that's living as though God actually said is actually true. What God actually said is actually true. And we live by those promises. So when the enemy comes at you and he fires his arrows at your life and he wants to inflame your emotions or engulf you in your passions or temptations or plant those seeds in your mind that are lies, we can live by faith by having full confidence in the truth of what God has already spoken in the Bible. That the, the scripture that we have today, the very promises that he made, we can live by faith. A few years back, um, like just out of nowhere, it was really strange, I started dealing with like really intense anxiety. Um, and maybe some of you remember it because I talked about it then as well. But like just weird out of nowhere, anxiety started hitting me bad. 
and uh, where then I was getting like chest pain and heart palpitations and panic attacks and dizzy and the whole deal, right? And where I just feel like I might faint and all this stuff, just really strange. And I was wearing this heart monitor and it was just weird. And so through this process, I know for sure that, you know, part of it is just in our body, in our, in our mind, but then I knew that there was this other component of it because even though I was dealing with some medical stuff, I know that the enemy was coming in and trying to uh, plant these seeds or engulf me in, uh, in passion or emotions, and I just having all these thoughts circle in my mind over and over and over and over and over again about just lies about myself or the things that God you know, is never going to fulfill in me because I'm going to die now or just whatever it is. And I just remember, you know, working with my counselor that, like, sure, part of it is a mental thing, and you just have to accept it. Not everything's a spiritual attack, and that's okay. Just to accept that not everything is the devil. But then there was this other component that I just knew that there was just these lies that were hitting my life. Like, you're not good enough, or, you know, God's never going to fulfill promises in your life because you're going to die, you're going to have a heart attack. And I just knew that God had this promise to me that we can read in the Bible that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I knew that God had said to me that in his word, in his Bible, has already said, I don't have to live with fear, that I can have uh, power and love and a sound mind. And I started living in that way. And through other help with uh, a counselor, you know, it really started to snowball and get me out of that rut I was in. But we can live by faith knowing that you have power. You can live with power, love, and a sound mind. Or, you know, when the enemy throws those attacks, you know that I am a child of God, of the the Most High King. I am beautifully and wonderfully made. By grace of God, I am forgiven. I don't have to live with shame and guilt any longer. I am forgiven. These are the promises of God that we should know them and have faith in God and have full assurance that he has kept his promise and he will continue. And I just want to invite you to place your assurance in Jesus, that we can live by faith, that faith is the confidence and hope and assurance of things not seen. But I want to ask you to place your assurance and your hope and faith in Jesus, that maybe you were persuaded growing up that faith is something that it's not, that you had to live a certain way or lasso God a certain way or that it was a formula or whatever it was. Or maybe you had a pastor just misguide you or maybe you had a church that, that oppressed you or whatever it may be. Maybe you had a family member, whatever it may be, your idea of faith. Can I just say this out of Romans 5 eight? That in spite of who we are, in spite of the brokenness of our world, in spite of the brokenness of man, that my own brokenness, your own brokenness, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of my sin, in the midst of the brokenness of church, in the midst of the brokenness of our world, that the, the faith question was settled at the cross that God kept his promise, that he has full authority and he is sovereign, but God kept his promise to the world by sending his son Jesus, and he died on the cross for you and for me. That the trustworthiness of God was settled at the cross, not at an unanswered prayer or an answered prayer, not in church, not in a pastor, not in a church leader or figure, We have full assurance 
and Jesus and Jesus alone. That we can have, use our shield of faith, which is placing our full assurance in Jesus and, and in the scripture of what God actually said is actually true. The things that he actually promised us, he's fulfilled those promises and he'll continue to fulfill them in our life. And that shield of faith can guard and say, no, this is what God has said in his scripture. This is what God has done by demonstration of Jesus Christ dying for you and for me so that we could eternally be with him forever through grace and grace alone. And let me end with this. Here's how the writer of Hebrews kind of sums up this entire collection of writing here talking about faith. It starts in chapter 12, right after he goes through all the list of all the heroes of faith. So he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scoring at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. That we can fix our eye on Jesus and Jesus alone. That no matter your experience in church, no matter your experience with what you view faith is, God has kept his promise. And the question of, is God trustworthy or not, was settled at the cross. And I want to invite you this morning, that you can pick up your shield of faith and use it. Use it to place your assurance and fix your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone, what he did and what the word says. Let's pray. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus before, I want to invite you to place your full assurance in him today, right now. That the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned and everyone's fallen short. But God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that if we believe in our heart and speak with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will eternally be with him forever. And if this is you and you want to place your full assurance in Jesus and have faith in him, I just want to invite you to say this simple prayer just in your own mind and heart this morning. God, I just come before you right now. Lord, and I definitely don't know everything but I'm trying to fix my eyes on you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me on that cross. Would you forgive me of my sin? Jesus, would you come into my heart? I wanna place my faith and full assurance in you. Would you lead me and guide me all the days of my life? If you just prayed that prayer, I just wanna tell you that angels are rejoicing in heaven, that uh, you will never be the same. And God, we just love you so much for who you are. God, give us the courage and the strength to pick up our shield daily, to place our assurance in you, Lord. God, that we need you. We need your love. 
Lord, we know we live in a broken and messy world, God, but we want to fix our eyes on you and place our assurance in you, Jesus, that we could withstand anything that this world might throw at us as we find you and follow you and live for you daily. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Nate. What a timely message of where we can put our priorities when it comes to putting our assurance in the Lord and placing our faith in him. Thank you very much, Nate. Appreciate that. All right, guys, go ahead and stand on up. If you would like to join us for First Connect after service today, I'll be right under that monitor over there. I'd love to say hello and welcome you. For the dads, may your grills light swiftly, your burgers not burn, and your steaks sear well. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Have a good day.